CEO of Maine's largest medical cannabis company, Patricia Rossi has been called a glass ceiling wrecker by the Cannabis Business Executive Association and is recognized as one of the most powerful women in cannabis. She's a leader of a business where women have carved out more influence at the sea level than any other nascent industry. Now, Patricia Rossi joins In the Weeds with Jimmy Young from the floor of NECAN in Portland, Maine. Don't look now, but it's a whole new world of weed out there. Pot is flower, it's Bruce Banner and Blue Dream. You've got bongs and dabs, resin and shatter, vaping and edibles, new terms, new strains, and new ways to use cannabis sativa, the plant. Some just made with CBD, and hemp has minimal THC. There's sativa and indica strains and 100 chemicals, all legal in 10 states for adult use. There's a lot to get to know. Get used to it, folks, because it's legal in the Bay State and it's not going away. Neither is In the Weeds with Jimmy Young next. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called cannabis sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. Hi, everybody. Welcome again to an on-the-road edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. And I'm back in my old stomping grounds of Portland, Maine for NECAN. That's right, the New England Cannabis Convention, making a stop here in Portland, Maine. Joining me is Patricia Rossi from the Wellness Connection, which is a large dispensary holder of licenses here in Maine. Patricia, how many licenses and dispensaries do you have here in the state of Maine? We operate four licenses in Maine, and we're vertically integrated, so we also operate a 40,000 square foot production center and uh, and the kitchen. So all throughout uh, all our location, my team is 80 employees strong. That's awesome. and. I know, I don't want to embarrass you, but according to many publications and cannabis trade magazines, you are one of the more influential and successful females in the cannabis space. So congratulations on a great thank career. You. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, um, I, I really value a lot those accolades because there's, uh, you know, that's an industry where women play a strong role and I don't want this to disappear. So it's really important that as a female leader, there's more of us. And you're a medical dispensary, and being uh, a, a female, and you know, matronly f Diana kept fixing my my shirt and my credential, making sure I look good. You know, those mothering things kind of plays right into the whole cannabis space about helping people out, giving them a product that is clean, tested, and can improve their lives. Yes, absolutely, and that's really part of our mission since inception, and that's the core of everything we do. It's improving quality of life, and I think this is really important. You know, I fell in the industry um, in 2011, so you know, per all standards, I'm a veteran, I guess, in this industry. Um, and I was not a, a believer, a user, or part of the movement. And when I saw how much of a profound change we could, uh, a positive change we could bring to folks that were uh, on, on a personal journey, that was really important for us. So we, we have so many, so many stories. On, on How many times have you heard cannabis has either changed my life or saved my life? You know, we serve over 15,000 patients 
Uh, so we hear it very often in very different genres from uh, a mother in Bangor that uh, following the birth of her child, she was uh, became addicted to opioids to um, one of our dispensary manager who has this acute bone disease to so many, so many stories, all the veterans we're helping. It's, it's a very um, empowering and that's what drives us. You know, I, there's days where I come back from the legislature in Augusta where I'm very involved to keep, you know, advancing the policy um, in, in the state. There's days I come through back the dispensary and I look a little sad and I remember one day there's this lady that comes and she's like, oh, put your bag down and she gives me a huge hug. I'm like, why are you doing this? She's like, because you're, you're making my life better so I need to make your life better. And I was like, yes, that's why, that's why I'm going through all of this because really running a company uh, in the cannabis space is not a walk in the park. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, now they call me, now it's sexy to work in cannabis. So they call me, how do I get in? I'm like, do you really want to get in? Because it takes resilience, it takes passion, and, you know, never give up. So. so it's interesting they say to you that it's sexy to be in the business. I've never heard that about me when I tell people I'm in pro-cannabis media. I'm just saying, that's just a fact. Um, let's go to where we are in the state of Maine right now. They have uh, moved towards adult use recreation. They, are, they have put in their regulations. What is the rollout like, and uh, does your company own any of the adult use recreational licenses that are being offered now? So the referendum was voted uh, late 2016, mm -hmm. and we're now October 2019, and nothing much from a licensing perspective has happened. What they have uh, opened from an adult use, so now adult use is legal, you can basically use, possess, grow, transport, and gift, but you cannot buy unless you're a medical patient. So um, basically they legalized gas, but there's no gas station. So it's a created an, an influx of uh, creative entrepreneurs, but there's no official licensing. The, um, the new governor that started in January, uh, who's a female, the first female governor in the state of Maine, is making a difference. She has released with her team more uh, rural regs in nine months than the previous governors in, in eight years. So we are currently receiving, you know, there's track and trace, medical, lab testing, because quality control is really important, and there was no lab testing or lab testing protocols. And finally, um, we should receive within a month or so the final revisions to the adult use. So licensing application for adult use should happen before the end of the year. So being conservative, we think that those licenses will be awarded, you know, you know by next summer. Um, we, so nobody owns an adult use license as of now. Will we apply? Absolutely, because I think um, you know, there's a misnomer about calling it recreational. For us, I view more the angle of responsible adult use and, and really targeting um, the folks that have, you know, insomnia or uh, migraines or, you know, societal stress or things like that, but not necessarily the, the, the people tend to misrepresent what adult use will be. But for us, it's giving more access to an herbal remedy that can change life. And we definitely want to do that while staying true to who we are, our values, our mission. And uh, that's what's driving my team. So, you know, uh, we're based in Massachusetts and we have distinct differences in the rules for adult use versus medicinal use. 
Um, one is obviously, one is taxed and one is not. In the state of Maine, do you know which, uh, what those rules may be as far as the differences go and, and is the quality of the herb the same? Absolutely. So really from a regulatory standpoint, there will be differences between adult use and uh, medical. Uh, taxation, there will be about 20% uh, tax on recreational or adult use, where currently medical is at five and a half. But other than that, there's a no not a lot of differentiation between the two programs. That what we'll see is there's got to be, the, we need to integrate the two programs uh, better from a regulatory framework. For instance, in adult use, there's mandated testing, but there's not such thing in medical. So it's backward thinking. It should be, there should be more that the two programs share together. Um, there's no uh, specificities when it comes to uh, the amount of milligram you can access or, you know, Colorado, for instance, if you're a medical patient, you can, you know, obtain more. Here, there's no such thing. It's really uh, more about, you know, pricing. Gotcha. Like difference, I would say, between the two programs. Gotcha. Okay, one of the um, issues and things that I found in the past, and you've already kind of alluded to your female governor, is the legislatures in various states are not well versed on this particular plant, to say the least. That's, um, an, that's an understatement. I understand. I'm a, I'm very rarely am I understated, by the way. Um, that being said, do you find that this legislature under this leadership is listening to those who know about this plant, and are they looking to get more educated so they get it right? So the, the administration has taken a huge step forward. They've created an Office of Marijuana Policy, and now they have about 11, uh, more than 10 employees as part of that team. In the past, we were under DHHS, and they were pretty much three people doing everything. So there's definitely a commitment in resource to understand and really work with us stakeholders, and there's a good understanding and collaboration. And um, I would say they're very uh, humble in the sense that sometimes we bring points to them that they don't know, and then we work through it together. The legislature, you know, the House, the Senate, you know, every year is a new batch of people and every year we go at it again and, and, and spend hours, countless hours really educating. And, and I really view this as one of the primary function of my role, which is um, being an access or a resource for more information and helping people understand what happens in other states, what are the, you know, the new research, the new you know, finding uh, national experts um, and so on and so forth to really show a different side of cannabis. You know, in Maine, we don't have a lot of industries, so I really want to portray cannabis as a positive stimulus for this economy. And, and for this to become a sustained industry in Maine, we have to do it right. So I really invest a lot of my time moving the, the policy and being a trailblazer on that front. You absolutely are. Are there grow houses for your company in the state of Maine? Yes, yes, we have absolutely everything. Um, as I mentioned, we have a centralized production location, 40,000 square foot of extraction, cultivation, processing, packaging. And one thing about Massachusetts that I think they did get right, and they're kind of su not suffering from it now, but dealing with it now, is they've made sure that there will always be 35% of the flour and product available for the medicinal community. And what's happened now is that there's a, um, 
they're, they're running out of flour for the adult use recreational side because, you know, you can only grow so much in so much time in a small area because you're, it's still beginning. Um, do you know if the state of Maine is going to kind of guarantee the medicinal inventory? No, there, there's no such plan. Um, I would say part of the, the, the pitfall in the Massachusetts system is the intent is great, but it takes so much time and effort to obtain a license that it's, it's not synced up. So, um, because I know a lot of projects that are building their grows as fast as they can and it needs to catch up. So there was definitely a out of synchronicity uh, momentum. Here in Maine, there's no such thing as, um, a re you know, protecting a portion of medicine for, for patients. But the two programs will still happen in parallel, medical and adult use. If you look across the other states like Washington, Oregon, California, typically when adult use come, come on board, there's, you know, medical market collapse and that gets to 80% for adult use, 15% of the, the market remains medical. In Maine, what will happen is there's already some odd urban spots, I would say, that are going to be magnets for marijuana because they, they are welcoming. They opted in and they're welcoming marijuana business, but there's a lot of other spots where it's not. It's going to be cannabis dry. So the, med the value of the medical program is also to allow to cover the, the diversity of the geography, if you will, so that people can still access marijuana in between those um, urban ups. One of the um, parts of the Massachusetts law was to uh, give opportunities to those who have been affected the, the most by the war, failed war on drugs and giving social equity and, and economic empowerment opportunities to people. Um, it has been the biggest disappointment in the state of Massachusetts that it has taken so long and, had, and it has been such a rollout, slow rollout of that. Um, is there any kind of a social equity or, or anything like that here in, in Maine? No, absolutely not. So you have to understand that the adult use program in Maine is a two-step program. So there's a pre-approval at the state level. And once you have your conditional license, then you can go shop municipality by municipality to get approved. And each municipality is going to come up with their own plan and their own variation. You know, um, some cities are open to feedback. For instance, Portland, they've asked, you know, what do you think? And I suggested such thing as, you know, you, you have to ask whoever wants to move into your community, what are they planning to do for your community? What their, what their plan, you know, like make sure uh, all those... Uh, whether it's minorities, people impacted on the war on drugs, or really community involvement are part of the decision making of those municipalities because there's no cap, there's no limitation in a number of licenses. So municipalities will have the power to, to define the market, if you will. That will be an interesting thing happening because that means that each municipality will have a different set of rules and... and, and It'll be fun. It's <laughs> you know who wins in all this? You know, the, everybody asks, I'm sure they ask you, you know, what's a great investment? I want to get into cannabis. And you know what I tell them? Invest in a law firm because the lawyers are going to make out better than anybody. And it's guaranteed margins, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about your company, Wellness Connection, and some of the challenges that you faced here in the state. Uh, you know, Maine is a very proud, um, hardworking Yankee-dominated uh, culture here. I spent 11 years here. I love the state of Maine. It's totally my second home. That being said, I think from your perspective, a lot of people look at big companies as the evil, as the evil person. And first of all, you don't 
you do not project evil at all. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how challenging it is for you to run a business and, and still be able to give back to the community. Well, uh, yes, the, the views uh, in Maine are very polarized. Um, you know, only 5% of companies have more than five employees, so we're 80. And uh, I'm extremely proud of my team and the team I've built uh, since 2011 because it's not easy. But because we're the biggest, so we have a target on our back. And I really try to turn the negative energy into something positive that drives us, that drives us to always be better, to exceed the standards, to always over deliver on all expectations. But also part of what is driving all of us, uh, my team and I, is really the giving back to the community. It's in our DNA. So we do a lot when it comes to um, discounts and access for veteran, senior, low-income, but also tribal communities, which is important in the making of you know the state of Maine. We do a lot of volunteering. We do a lot of event sponsorship. Last week, we, we were a team of 10 that were uh, racing the Dempsey Challenge dedicated to the, the cancer uh, research. And also, uh, one of our latest commitments is uh, with the end of life, because if, if you're dedicated to improving quality of life, unfortunately, improving quality of end of life is really part of that, too. So we have the Mark Bushy Compassionate Program. This was named in honor of one of our patients. Uh, was a phenomenal gentleman, a veteran, a pharmaceutical rep, who unfortunately lost his battles with ALS, but we helped him all along. So now, to give back, we are, um, you know, for a, during the year, we, we give free cannabis therapies to clients in their end of life. Another thing that means a lot to us, and which I think this community and industry is not doing enough, is being mindful of the environment. So if you look at the exit bags, it's a bio-resin plastics. It's done with green um, energy. We, we offset all our um, carbon footprint, and we also recycle all the plastic we use. So over the, since 2015, I can proudly say we've recycled up to 11 tons of plastic and about 1 million items in bags, and we incentivize also our patients to do so and be mindful. So we are well-rounded. We want to be a force of good for cannabis and for Maine, and while you know, we'll, we'll not do anything else than raise the bar and be positive about it no matter what people say. So I hope you know, it will be contagious and infectious at some point, and everybody will love us. That's my goal. Great. Well, so far you're very lovable. Um, socially responsible capitalism is kind of how you are describing the whole wellness connection thing here. Is that yep. is something that you look at every day and make sure all of your... Absolutely. I, I am a firm believer of that. You know, I, uh, I come from France and Europe where it's all in the end of governments. Here I don't want to believe in, you know, governments and I don't want to trust just individuals, but I think corporate has their mission and I'm a firm believer that it's up to us to be responsible leaders and, and come up with companies where the value you create is not just monetary and financial, but it's also what you create in the DNA of your community. So, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's going on with the vaping crisis in the United States uh, right now. Massachusetts, as you know, has put in a four-month ban yep. on all vaping, and it has caused major trouble for those in that industry, especially those vape stores that are out there. Um, what I've been told is enough, this is another example of why regulation has got to be done at a federal level. Do you agree with that? 
Well, there's a lot of things. So um, we don't know yet what is the problem. That could be, you know, so we need science, we need FDA to do their due diligence and really understand what the process is. You know, is this due to these filling agents or not? We, we really need to get the, the, the big guys involved with that. Um, when it comes to the ban, I'm always a little um, concerned or on the fence. I think it's a great intent, but what it's doing is the folks that really rely on vaping uh, as a way to um, deliver marijuana, what it will do, it's, it's, it might drive them back to the black market where it might even be worse. Uh, or across the border in Maine where it's not uh, forbidden yet to to obtain still obtain their vape so I, I think it's a good band-aid measure but I think really higher level of regulations are needed and as an industry we cannot be complacent about it um, NCIA um, has just released a petition uh, a call to uh, the speaker of the house which I've signed uh, about uh, deregulation and you know mandating deregulation to facilitate uh, increased federal and national regulation. I just want to make sure we don't confuse the two topics. You know, it's not using a health crisis to mandate for, you know, deregulation or descheduling de de or rescheduling, but I think it's important to have strong regulation in place to prevent health crisis because this is, this is not acceptable, so. Did you read the 48-page policy statement by the NCIA? I started to get into it. It's quite thorough. I've, uh, I have not got a chance to get there. I've just read the petition, which was only three or four pages. So this one I could do, but yes, I absolutely want to read it. And because I think it's, I admire them and I commend them for doing that because we have to be portrayed as a responsible industry. And a lot of us are very responsible entrepreneurs, but not all of us are. And there's still a booming black market. So we, we need to find a, a balance and protect the health of people. It really is a balance. Uh, it's a balance not just here in Maine, not just here in Massachusetts, but as you know, I came back from Jamaica and I got to meet some of the Rastafarians and the planters and the growers there. And therein lies another example of how a government needs to work with the people, the planters, the farmers who have lived with this plant and worshiped this plant. And it's been part of their culture for generations. Uh, and that is one of the reasons why I get so excited about coming to these events and talking to people like you, because I do feel like we are all part of a historical movement. Oh, it's, yes, we're making history. And, you know, I, I, I view myself as a trailblazer in our company, too, because there's not really, you know, nothing is started in front of us. No, nobody has done it before. And, you know, I speak about Jamaica, I do a lot of work uh, in uh, Hawaii. And there's also the sacred belief behind the plant and the herbalist and, and, and all of that, and yes, it's very important that we, we drive access to this plant. There's more to it, it's not just the crop. There's the, the, the societal, the religious beliefs that get, go with it, make it much bigger than just a product that all of a sudden is, is available to folks. So I, I, I found this really fascinating. You know, I used to be in advertising my entire career and people ask me, oh, you're no longer creative. You know, are you bored in what you do? I'm like, no, this is being creative every single day of, uh, of the, of the, you know, of the year, of the last, five, you know, 10 years, because you have to always find a solution and come up with what is next. And, and at the end of the day, people feel better with their lives. So it's, it's highly rewarding.
Patricia Rossi, CEO of Wellness Connection. It has been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much. And I look forward to coming back because I have some ideas about how we might best work together in some capacity. Yeah, that would be great. That'll be great. There you go. And this has been a great interview. And I want to thank Diana Fletcher for kind of putting it all together. And, you know, we go back many years in the news market of Portland, Maine. She has more stories about me than I do about her. Trust me on that. I can pretty much say that. Anyway, for Patricia Rossi, for our videographer, Dan French, who puts this whole thing together, and Diana, thank you, too. I'm Jimmy Young. This has been In the Weeds. And remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. We are Pro Cannabis Media.